Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the stars of the Kevin Smith franchise Clerks are back for Clerks 3. Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson, aka Dante and Randall, talk about their return to the cult franchise. The director and the producer of the new Netflix soulful drama I Used to Be Famous, about a washed up boy band star who teams up with a young, gifted and autistic drummer and finds possible redemption. Plus Mark Ryle and all the week's new releases. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. The big TV event of the week was undoubtedly the Emmys. Or was it? Because I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in here, who's in the know about all things. And he said to me, is the Emmy still on? And that was on this week. So I don't know, maybe it's not that big a deal anymore. But let's pretend that it is. Because there was some interesting results from it. Succession kind of romped home. One for Best Drama Series and a lot of other things as well. Couple of surprises. Uh, Squid Game, Lee Jung-jae won for Best Actor in a Drama Series, which is I was delighted about. Because Squid Game's a weird show. It's, it, it's a mad... TV show it's great but it's you know kind of like your brain's on fire when you're watching it but he is brilliant as the lead in it he really is Zendaya a previous guest on this show one for Euphoria which is a great series and she's a brilliant actress Ted Lasso uh, did very well won comedy series Jason Sudeikis won uh, and also Brett Goldstein who I'm going to come back to in a second won for best supporting actor and he is great in that he plays the kind of former footballer who's very angry about life if you've seen Ted Lasso you know what I'm talking about the white low one as well I gave that one episode and I couldn't do it anymore do let me know where you are on the White Lotus because I just couldn't get into it but it did well at the Emmy so maybe I'm going to have to revisit it and a show called Hacks which I'd barely even heard of uh, which is meant to be very funny and good so it's available here but I haven't got around to watching it and I know someone emailed in saying you should watch it it's great so I'm going to have to do that now just on Ted Lasso we've spoken about that show many times but Brett Goldstein gave a great speech have a listen to this Uh, last time I was here I was told not to swear and I did and I'm sorry but it meant the feed got cut back home in the UK so my family never got to hear me say this so thank you for this second chance Uh, mum dad Tara and Matt, Zebby and Bo, I f***ing love you. I really do. I'm so sorry, I'll be back. Thank you. I shouldn't drop the F-bomb, but I'm going to drop the F-bomb. Ted Lasso, as we've said many times on the show, on Apple TV, is a wonderful, cheery, heartfelt show you should watch if you haven't. And Succession is a great TV show. And Squid Game is a very entertaining TV show, let's say. And White Lotus left me cold, but I may have to heat up to it again. Now, another show I was watching this week is a slightly contentious one. It launched on Disney Plus all eight episodes last Thursday on Disney Day, Disney Plus Day, I believe it was called. And it's Mike, all about Mike Tyson. Now, Mike Tyson has refused to have anything to do with this and said they've basically raided his life. So it's not an authorised TV biography of him by any stretch. All eight episodes are there. I have watched three. Now, it tells the story of Mike Tyson in two ways. It's slightly linear in that it 
takes you through his childhood, his stays in incarceration because he got up to no good on the mean streets of Brooklyn. But then it's also, and it goes through his boxing career and the various tribulations that he perpetuated on people that were perpetuated on him. But it also features him on stage because he did this tour a couple of years ago called The Undisputed Truth where he's on stage trying, well, that's a little unfair, where he's being the narrator of his own life story and there's almost a touch of stand-up in it and he just stands on the stage and it was very successful with a screen behind him and, and talks about his life and it's a very complicated life. Now the per- and So in this TV show you have him doing that and then you also have this, as I say, more linear take on his life and it jumps around a bit and it's very fast-paced. The highlight of, of it is Trevant Rhodes from Moonlight playing Mike Tyson as an adult. And he is great. He, he He's the guy from Moonlight, you may remember. And Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, as you've seen him over the years, I'm sure, he comes across quite gentle in some ways. He has this quite pronounced lisp and he almost does kind of gentle hand gestures that he seems like a gentle giant. And of course, we know he can be incredibly violent, both in the ring and it would seem outside of the ring. Uh, and of course, he is a convicted rapist, a, a charge which he has long denied, uh, nothing new in that I think the majority of convicted rapists deny charges we won't get into that but there is a slight misgiving I certainly have about watching an entertainment show which is what this is about a man who has been convicted of rape now on the side of I don't want to say the angels but on the other side of the fence well this is a a cultural icon for Manny he was a very poor boy from the mean streets of Brooklyn who became the undisputed very much so I think he'd more knockouts than anyone ever heavyweight champion of the world so maybe there is an interesting story there to tell so does this work it works okay as I say Trevant Rhodes is brilliant as Mike Tyson I don't think there's enough boxing in it if that doesn't sound like a strange thing to say but that was why he was admired for so long because he was built like a brick <clears throat> M-house and no one could touch him in the ring so I would like to have seen more boxing it jumps around a lot it also I don't know doesn't quite hang together and maybe doesn't explain what drove him. There is his horrific childhood with domestic abuse in his own life as a child, watching his mother, who he had a very strange relationship with, being really bullied as a child and then falling in love with pigeon flying. So there are nice elements in it as well. But there's just something about it three episodes in that isn't all coming together. It's been there since Thursday. So do let me know if you've been watching Mike, which is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. What's the movie going to be about? Mm, it's gonna be about an hour and a half. I hate long movies. It's about him working here. Wow, meta. I've never seen a whole movie set in a convenience store before. Right? Thank you. I'm gonna fill the script with all the weird me and Dante have ever said or seen around here over the years. Oh, you should put in that stuff you used to say about the Death Star contractors. Get sued by Disney? That. Besides, I don't want this movie to be about other movies. I want it to be about me. It's my flick, so I want to write about the things that I do. Like, um, like how do we play hockey on the rooftop? I've never seen that done in a movie or a TV show, even though it's just practical. <laughs> Remember that fight where I hit you in the face with the bread? Oh, that could be a scene. <laughs> or the time I spit water on that old guy. That's like the <gasps> opening scene. Ooh, I got an idea. Maybe Jane Silent Bob could be characters. That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Now, that was a clip from Clerks 3. Clerks, the original movie, because obviously this is the third one. You may know or you may know nothing about it, but it is a 
really cult movie. It was released in 1994 from the brain of Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, the director who gave us things like Dogma, Chasing Amy, and of course the, the Clerks movies as well. And he's in the Clerk movies playing the character Silent Bob. He also did the movies Jay and Silent Bob. He has his own little universe. Clerks was made for a pittance. I think it was $28,000. It was in black and white. And it was based on two kids working in a convenience store, as they say in the States, and a video shop, respectively. Jeff and Dante were the two guys. And they were horrible to customers. And they sat around discussing Star Wars and things like that. And Jay and Silent Bob would come into the store and people would smoke dope. And as I say, it was a a real cult movie. Kevin Smith went on to do all sorts of other things. He made a second movie, which wasn't quite as successful or as good. Wasn't bad. Now, Clerks 3 is back. And when it begins, we see Dante and Randall having not really changed that much. They're both in this convenience store and they're doing things like playing hockey on the roof. But then Randall's character gets a heart attack and life changes for them. And they decide to make a movie about their experience running this convenience store. It's all very meta. It's all very Kevin Smith. So, as I say, if you know about Clerks, you'll be delighted about this. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, you may be less delighted, but hopefully you'll be intrigued. Now, Dante is played by Brian O'Halloran and Randall is played by Jeff Anderson. And I spoke to them earlier in the week about the return of Clerks. Any one of you can answer this, but I'll, I'll I'll throw it out. You know, it sounds like a bit of a pun, but there was more heart in this than I was expecting. And obviously there's a heart attack, but it's really sweet. And it didn't go where I thought it might go. Having really enjoyed the previous two movies, particularly the first one, where you, when you guys got the script, did you think, wow, this I, we didn't see this coming? Or maybe you knew all along. Um, yeah, you know, um, I, when I get these scripts, I, I, I sort of read them like a fan. Um, I, I, we hadn't uh, been with these characters in, you know, 10 or 15, 12 mm-hmm. years, whatever it was. Um, so when I got the script uh, uh, reading through it, uh, I won't say it was a shock, but uh, I, I remember reading through it and I got a little teary uh, mm-hmm. and it, 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 uh, it was something I didn't expect. And I, I, I probably had the same reaction to reading the script that people are going to have when they see the movie. Uh, you know, I had no uh, sort of inside knowledge of what was going to happen. And uh, it was definitely interesting to read. Yeah. And Brian, you know, I, uh, I read this great thing. Kevin Smith said recently in Rolling Stones, it's so meta we're sucking our own <clears throat> in a very Kevin Smith thing to say, but it is incredibly meta. Like it's referencing the first movie and yet you're making a movie the way you did in the first one. Like it's crazy at times. W- was it, I don't know. Was it odd doing that? It's such a meta thing. I'm sorry to keep using the word meta. <laughs> No, no. I mean, uh, we want the kids to listen, don't we? Uh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and the three of us aren't kids. So, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so definitely, you know, the story, the in story into like, you know, inception. Yeah. Almost. And so yeah. uh, what was really great about it was, you know, us on set, so to speak in the store, in this place that we were 28 years prior mm. now literally holding up an iPad or a phone to us going like, look, Brian, can you move a little further to the right there? Now you look just like you did when we're talking about, you know, the Star Wars Stormtrooper Independent Contractors or whatever it was. There was a lot of that kind of really weird kind of deja vu all over again kind of feeling like, my mm-hmm. God, 
if like if a Doctor Who character walked out of the TARDIS and said, "In 28 years, you'll be saying the exact same things in this very same <laughs> spot," I thought it, I would have been in a massive time loop that I couldn't get out of. Um, <laughs> it would have been definitely a Doctor Strange kind of moment. But it was really, really cool how Kevin cleverly was able to really take this, you know, first weird kind of movie that eventually became beloved and yeah. had the title of cult status and mm. put into the national archives of the United States here for the yeah. library of Congress. I saw which that. Is really weird, which yeah. is another thing that's really weird. You guys um, and the Godfather. So, you know, right. So, you know, yeah, that's the way it goes. First, Clerks, the Godfather. <laughs> we're a bit of a mob family in a way. It was, sure. yeah. Sopranos kind of thing. But yeah, it's kind of cool. It's it's cool and clever how Kevin was able to to relive this and give us those moments again. It's not every day that you get to relive and do something that you just were doing out of a very fun moment in your life and being able to have people enjoy it. Yeah. And yet bring it to modern times and see where where they are today. Yeah. Jeff, you know, it's so funny there. I was I was about to ask you a question about Star Wars because I'm a, I'm a <laughs> child of that era as well. And I was going to call you Randall. And <laughs> I, I just wonder, though, like on that, is there is I mean, are you still recognized an awful lot because of these movies? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a funny thing. I don't get recognized a whole lot. Um, something about turning this hat around throws everybody <laughs> off. Um, you know, I, I always tell people like a lot of times when I'm doing the clerk stuff, the interviews, uh, being on film, I, I typically wear a hat. Okay. Uh, and in my real life, I don't wear a hat too often. And okay. I very rarely get recognized. Okay. Um, when I do get recognized, it's more from my voice than anything. And that's where people will sort of go, Hey, um, but, I, you know, I tell this story a lot. I'll, I'll be with Brian uh, a whole lot and uh, we're walking around and Brian will get recognized and people typically hand me the camera to take a picture of them and Brian. <laughs> so, and, and I don't think they have any idea who I am. So it, it's yeah. a very strange thing. Yeah. OK. Apparently, Bruce Springsteen had the same thing in a restaurant in Dublin where someone asked him to sign, hold the pen while he got Bono's autograph. So so it happens, <laughs> you know. Uh, but what I was going to ask, and I guess it's both of you as well, the, the stuff. Star Wars stuff in the first one was just, I know it was a small part of it, but it was, it was so cool. That's the only way to describe it. Were you, and are you, do you continue to be massive Star Wars fans in your life? Or was that all part of Kevin's mind? Uh, me? I, I am, I am definitely a Star Wars fan. I got, I got tons oh, of Star Wars shit behind so me. So I can see. Yes. So uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a movie as a kid, uh, just like Kevin kind of really affected me as a, as a fan opening yeah. up my mind. I'm still waiting for my goddamn land speed. <laughs> I thought by now we could do some sort of anti-gravity something. So, they did have yeah, model. They, they did have model ones, but they just obviously didn't do the anti-land speed stuff. Yeah, I remember uh, coming home from the movie with my older brothers going, "Ha ha! When I get my driver's license, I'm going to have a land speeder." Fifty-two, <laughs> still waiting for my land speeder. And Jeff, was Star Wars a big thing in your life? Um, it, you know, I, I watched Star Wars and I was a fan of Star Wars, but I have to say, I don't know it like Kevin knows it. Mm -hmm. um, I just this year I started doing the con thing and mm -hmm. uh, they were trying to get me to do those for quite a while. And I never wanted to do those because I thought the fans were just going to grill me with Star Wars questions. <laughs> and me as Randall could only disappoint that I don't know who's related to this one yeah, or that yeah. one. And 
So my knowledge of it is not like Kevin's. So uh, I was a little worried about that. I'm a fan of the movies. I like the movies, but uh, I, I don't think of it as intricately as Kevin does. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw Clerks, believe it or not, in a cinema in Toronto in the early noughties in a cool cinema. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever done to go see Clerks in this art house cinema. And I was just oh. thinking back to it today because, you know, you know, some of the jokes probably then, like every comedy made in the 90s and before that, we have to re-question. And, you know, some of that's a good thing. My own personal view is, you know, if we keep going, we're not going to have anything left to laugh at. But were you struck in this script that maybe it's still very funny, don't get me wrong, but that you were aware that it was a movie being made in 2022? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think... Um... You know, when we first got the script, I, I can't think of anything that really stands out. But I remember when we, we uh, went back to New Jersey before we filmed, Kevin wanted to uh, sit down with us and do just sort of a couple read throughs just to sort of get the feel of it. Mm. And there was a lot of that where we were sitting around the table going, gee, I, I'm not sure you could do this anymore. And and we would sort yeah. of scratch stuff out and come up with new things. Uh, but but like you, I, I tend to agree if we just keep going there's going to be there's going to be no comedy like yeah. the comedy is meant to sh sort of laugh at people and show the absurdities of life and uh it is amazing from like clerks 2 uh to clerks 3 in that short span of time even though it's 10 or 12 years uh how the landscape has changed mm -hmm. and and you really sort of have to think things out and think things ahead of time uh and make sure you just don't get yourself in trouble so yeah there was a little bit of that i mean uh, one of my favorites is ricky gervais and ricky gervais talks about this point as well i think very well and very uh, very eloquently about it uh so yeah i agree that um although there were things that we were like ooh, where are we in this uh world where we what can we joke about at the same time, yes, as Jeff says, there's got to be a point where it's like you're coming to a comedy show. Yeah. You're going to hear comedy just like if you're going to go to a hospital, you're going to get cut open or stitched up. You know, yeah. there's no avoiding it. Yeah. Listen, last go question. To a comedy show, you might get cut up too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way things are going. Let's move on. Finally, Brian, can I just check? You know, one can never tell with the internet, but your parents are from Ireland or your grandparents are from Ireland? No, no. Uh, my parents and my two older brothers are all from Ireland. Okay. Uh, and then they emigrated to New York uh, in 65. And then I was born in Manhattan in 69. So uh, I, 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 could I could step into the accent real quick and get down to it because my, I hear it from my mother every day on the phone. Okay. Uh, yeah, she's uh, my father is from Galway. My mother is from Roscommon. Uh, many of our summer holidays, we'd go home, as we say. Uh, yes. back to Ireland and go up to Sligo to visit some of her relatives. I also have okay. relatives in the 70s who emigrated to London and Birmingham and Canada and things like okay. that. Okay. The wild geese spread their wings. Well, listen, the highlight of my day to talk to you, right, so thanks a lot. Thanks right, a lot, John. Thank you. Brian O'Halloran, a.k.a. Dante and... Jeff Anderson, a.k.a. Randall, from Clerks 3, from the original Clerks movies. And if you liked the original Clerks, you'll enjoy Clerks 3. It goes in a slightly different direction, but there's a lot of laughs in it and a lot of heart as well, it has to be said. From the, from the peculiar... Uh, and sometimes very funny mind of Kevin Smith. And uh, Brian's Irish accent, I don't think, is that bad. He's only... Uh, like his first generation, pretty much. I mean, he moved when he was, he was born in Manhattan, but his folks moved only a few years before he was born and his brothers and sisters, as you heard there 
or were born in Ireland. Now, Clerks 3, I should say, is in cinemas from this Friday, the 16th of September. Up next, the makers of the new Netflix movie I Used to Be Famous, all about a washed-up boy band star and possible redemption. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now another new release of the week on Netflix this time is the sweet and soulful I Used To Be Famous. Vince is a used to be hot boy band star all over the world who's now alone and somewhat washed up. Then an impromptu jam with Stevie, played by a great newcomer, Leo Lang, who's on the autism spectrum, who also happens to be an incredible drummer, sets Eddie on the path to possible redemption, and they form a unique bond through the power of music. It was directed and co-written by Eddie Sternberg, and it has an Irish producer, Collie McCarthy, and I'm delighted to say they join me both now. Hi, guys. Hey, Listen, uh, Eddie, I was talking to uh, another Netflix director about three weeks ago, a man called Babek Anveri, and he has a movie out the moment called I Came By. Mm -hmm. And he had that story for 20 years, he was telling me. And I was just thinking of that this morning because you made this as a short movie seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, they say, you know, writers and people and directors there's always one story they're dying to tell on top of everything else the fact that you wanted to bring this to to a full 90 minutes or two hours is this one you've been burning to tell absolutely i think ever since i first came up with the character of vince which was even i think that was a few more i think it's about two or three years before the short was out um uh, it always just felt like it was a proof of concept for a, for a feature film. There was so much to tell about Vince and about Stevie. I just wanted to explore it. So as soon as the short was finished, um, I, I started thinking about writing the feature film straight away. And Collie, people might sense from your name, but certainly from your accent, you're an Irish producer. So God bless you, first of all. Uh, how did you get involved? Uh, so I, um, I'm living in London at the moment and I saw Eddie's film uh, back in 2016 and uh, really, really, really liked it. And, and I'd worked with some of the crew that worked on that short with him mm. uh, and they introduced us um, and, and, and got on really well with Eddie. And he was he was making steps towards turning it into a feature. And I was at that same point in my career looking to make the jump from shorts to features. So it was a it was a really natural fit. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, we took from there, started a, a five year development process. Yeah, yeah, and that's that sounds like a long time, but in the in the business of movies, it isn't really no exactly. time at all. Uh, and Eddie, there's a, there's a personal resonance for you, uh, a family member called Saul, who who may have been the catalyst in part for the story. Can you tell us a bit about him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Obviously, the, the film is about um, a former boy band star um, trying to um, bring back the glory years. And um, so uh, with Vince as my starting point, I started to think about what, what he represented. And to me, it was a kind of uh, commodification of music. It was a, a product version of music that wasn't pure. Um, whereas with Saul, um, he's, the, the Saul's story just really inspired me. He, when he was 10 years old, his parents gave him a, a pair of drumsticks, which he had trouble holding. He's a, a, um, an autistic man with uh, high support needs. He needs full-time care. Um, and slowly over time, he, he got the strength to hold the drumsticks and hit the drums. And fa- fast forward, uh, you know, about... I think it was 10 years later or eight years later, he's on stage with his 
uh, with the band that he formed called the Autistics with an X, a, a, a rock band with um, uh, neurodivergent members and neurotypical members, including the, the parents of some of the boys in the band. And he's on stage in front of a thousand people with Sir Tom Jones. So Saul was someone that didn't like crowds. He didn't like loud noises, but through the power of music, um, he's he suddenly in front of a thousand people performing. So for, what he represented to me was this really pure uh, uh, visceral, primal uh, representation of music that we all need as humans. And I thought it was a nice juxtaposition against Vince's um, commodification version of uh, music. And I thought it was just a qu- quite a nice uh, combo to put together a nice juicy story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be clumsy around the language here, but you use the phrase neurodivergent. I understand Leo, who, who's terrific in it he also identifies as, as being on the spectrum is that right who, who plays stevie in the movie he does uh leo's neuro- neurodivergent and we we found him uh, with a nationwide search uh, by our casting director isabella Dauphin. Um, she kind of went up and down the country looking for uh sort of uh, older teens young adults um who were either autistic or neurodivergent and who could be a musician and an actor and mm. in between. So it was, it was quite a tall order for, for who we were looking for. Um, but we got some amazing tapes in from, from kids of all different sort of abilities and ages. And um, we, we whittled it down to 20 uh, and they came in for an audition day and that 20 eventually became two that we screen tested with Ed. And uh, yeah, Leo just walked in our door and lit up the room. He, um, he's actually a, uh, has a real affinity for Irish trad music. And he came oh. over and played a baron for us. Wow. Because <laughs> um, we asked them if they had an instrument to come in and just, you know, uh, do a few bars for us. And Leo came in with a baron and a banjo. So he was he was in my good book straight away. Wow. I, yeah, that, that's how to do it. And, you know, a lot's made at the moment about, you know, if people have a condition or people are a certain ethnic group, that it's important that they be from that ethnic group. And there's a debate about, well, does that not kill the whole idea of acting? Is that not what people are meant to do? And I'm sure you're, you're well aware of it. But you guys were keen from the start that the person who was playing Stevie should be neurodivergent. Yeah, we were. I mean, um, the, the character of Stevie uh, is inspired by Eddie's cousin Saul. So yeah. we were always kind of on that wavelength from the get go. If we could do our bit for representation on screen, then we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that we were going to cast anyone just because they're neurodivergent. Sure. That was our that was our number one priority. Yeah. Uh, so we thought, you know, if we can find the right kid, then that's what we'll do. And 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 luckily we did you know yeah. and, and, and I had a lot of options but Leo just you know he was the full package he, he, he played the drums he could act he just he had the the stamina and the energy you know working on sets is a big deal for 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 a, any actor um and and he had the you know the an amazing family the right support uh, and we also worked with a company called Actor, um, access all areas, uh, just to to to, to really help us uh, understand how Leo would work best, and and to you know give both him and us the tools uh, to make it a really really nice environment on set. And Eddie, you know, in terms of the, the music business, you know, the music business is quite larcenous, uh, as many people can tell you over the years, from Elvis Presley to whoever. And, you know, the music business in this is painted as one that can really chew you up and spit you out and make you miss important parts of your own life and stuff. Was that something, I don't know, do you have any personal experience of that? Or was, was that a, a trope you were keen to use in the film? 
I've always just found that quite an interesting subject. Um, you know, back in 2013, there were quite a lot of um, former pop stars um, coming back into into the uh, conversation. Basically, that there, there was um, uh, that they were in the press and there were reunion tours and they were on TV. And I just thought it was quite an interesting um, phenomenon to have people that had such an excess of fame and success from such a young age and then to be chewed up and spat out just mm -hmm. as quickly as they got that success and you know these people were in their late 20s and early 30s where most people are, are, are starting to get their lives together <laughs> a lot of people still haven't by then and um, these people were seen as has-beens having already peaked so I, I found and a lot of them were, were very talented as well so that it, I found um, people trying to fill that void um, just a really interesting subject for, for a film and the music is is great in it. And I know it sounds like an obvious question, but did you spend a lot of time working out the music? Because it's not the stuff the guys do together is I'm not sure how to describe it. It reminded me of kind of cooler aha music, if that's not to do it a terrible disservice. But did you spend a lot of time working out the tunes they would play? Cooler aha music is my favorite genre. <laughs> um, it's, it's my uh, third favorite after Garth Brooks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, music is um, is everything in this film. Um, I, I've I've always um, wanted to be a filmmaker that that emulates those those type of filmmakers like a John Carney or a mm. uh, Cameron Crowe or a Richard Linklater where there's very cu highly curated uh, soundtracks and, and, and great music within the film as well. Um, so in terms of the Tin Men and their music, um, I'd always imagined this really kind of searing, satisfying synth music that was kind of kitsch as well. So you've got Vince on his Novation synth and Juno keyboard, which they also use in Sing Street, which was a bit of a, mm. uh, a, 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 a an inspiration for us. We actually worked with Julian Ulrichs, who's the editor of Sing Street, and oh, okay. um, and and Stevie with his pots and pans and his drums. So um, yeah, the, the the music was 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 huge, and I, I mean I can talk about that for hours, but we don't have that much time. <laughs> no, we don't. Someone's probably waving at you there, saying rap. But let me ask you finally on the music, then, Kali. Uh, you know, there's a a couple of scenes in it which take place in music therapy sessions that's because that's where Stevie goes with his mother with his drumsticks and it, it, it's beautiful uh, those scenes and I never it's it's just something I've never given any thought of because of an accident of life but did you kind of research music therapy for this because the scenes are beautifully affecting we did so um, I mean Eddie uh, Eddie did so for the short film and then again we did for this for the feature length um, we cast uh, non-actors uh, across the board in that circle other than the leader um, Dia played by Kurt Aguirreon um, and we 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 just we decided to shoot it in the first week uh, of the schedule, um, and that was a bit of the roll of the dice because there's a lot of unknowns when you're when you're bringing so many non-actors into the room with different needs, and um, it really it it, it was uh, a masterstroke in in terms of it really galvanized the crew, and um, you know they saw just. Uh, all these actors brought so much enthusiasm and joy to the job and to it just made it a really special week and everybody just sort of, you know, um, just bound together and, and it set a lovely tone for the rest of the shoot. Well, listen, it goes on Netflix on the 16th of September. It's very sweet. It's very soulful. I even shed a tear at one point, but you never meant to admit that live on the radio. So I'm glad I didn't. And I was talking to its director, Eddie, and its producer, Collie. Congratulations, guys. Thanks a lot, Thanks, John. Stevie, Stevie, I need to level with you, okay? Dude, 
What do you want more than anything else in this entire world? Maybe I can help you with it, come on. I want to go to the music school. Right. Listen, if we do this gig, it's going to open up some real opportunities for you, man. I've got some really important people coming down. Do you know Austin Roberts? No? All right, well, he's a really big deal. Right, and if we impress him, Stevie, we might be able to go on tour. Imagine me and you on tour together. That's a lot of performances. Yeah. Stevie, is someone at the door? Stevie, Stevie, this is something I've been trying to get back for a long time. I really need your help with this. How are you doing? It's nice to see you. What are you doing? I invite him for a cup of tea and biscuits. A clip there from I Used To Be Famous on Netflix from this Friday, the 16th of September. And you heard their newcomer, Leo Long, and also Ed Screen. And before that, you heard me talking to the director, Eddie Sternberg, and also the Irish producer, Colleen McCarthy of I Used To Be Famous. And I meant what I said. It's, it, it's a sweet movie, it is, and quite affecting in places. Up next, Mark Ryle on his dog's life. Now you're welcome back to the last part of screen time and like a fine wine we've, you know, you know what it is. Insert cliche. Mark <laughs> Ryle is here to talk about the remaining We're new releases of the week. And it is an Irish movie, an Irish language movie, of which we're seeing lots of many. It's called Roshi and Frank. Or is it Roshi? No, it's Rose. How do I say that, Mark? Roshi. Rosha, sorry, Rosha, August Frank, or Roshi, Rosha and Frank, an Irish language movie and very much an Irish movie. Mark, tell our yes. listeners what's going on in this. Rosha and Frank, it's funded by Cine4. It's the same scheme that, that funded uh, on Colin Kuhn and uh, Fusca. Um, so I suppose uh, comparisons are, are bound to be made. Um, it is nowhere near as profound or moving as, as on Colleen Kuhn. Um, it's a lot lighter. Nor does it set out to be though. No, 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 it's a lot, it's, it's, it's more lighthearted than that. It's, um, so anyway, what's going on? Uh, Breedney Nocton is Rosia and she is a widow of two years. Um, and after the death of her husband, she is, uh, seriously struggling with depression and she's, uh, sleeping a lot. She doesn't eat much and she wears the same clothes every day. Uh, her son then is played by Killian O'Garvey, and he's a GP uh, with a newborn daughter, um, but he's also kind of lost touch with his mother during mm-hmm. the two years. Um, and then this uh, stray dog shows up and begins following Rosia around and acting oddly, and Rosia becomes convinced that the dog is the reincarnation of her late husband, Frank. That's it in a nutshell. Yes, and there's also a small little sub-story, because I've seen this as well, of a young boy who's maybe a bit bullied in school, has a fondness for hurling, and and starts Mm. to play with the dog and the slitter. Yeah, and a a sort of a, not creepy is too strong a word, um, but a a, a neighbour with an eye for the the main chance, um, played by... um, Oh, uh, Lorcan Cranich, isn't it? Lorcan Cranich, yeah. Yeah, who was, of course, a DCI Beck in He was uh, a nasty piece Cracker. of work in Cracker, yeah. Yeah, I'll always remember him in Cracker. Horrible character, but brilliant actor. And sorry, when you say he has an eye for the chance, is that what you the said? Main chance. The an main eye for chance. The main Whoa, chance. Whoa, you, you sound like a man from the 1950s. 
well, if the cap fits. Yeah, clearly it does. Okay. Michael cap, Flatley's cap fits. <laughs> Please, no more Blackbird talk. We have to oh. we have to get away from that. Yeah, so yeah. listen, I right. was we both were invited to a screening mm. of this where you could bring your dog if you wanted. <laughs> like it was a it was a pooch screening from the great breakout pictures headed by mm. Nell Roddy, who's a who's a friend of ours and all yeah. film people in Ireland. She's a great lady. And yeah. she has done the Irish film service or the film industry, some service, I should say. But so what I'm getting to is that this is very much a dog friendly movie as well. And that Frank, the dog, right. Who supposedly comes back as her late husband. He's not CGI. So before you tell me what you thought of the movie, didn't you think the dog was great? The dog is fantastic. I don't think I don't think uh, the budget would be there to CGI the dog. Um, but just the stuff that they were able to get him to do, no, 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 that he can he, almost he, respond to what humans were saying without yeah, any no, camera trickery was brilliant. He is. He's a. a, a it was a, a terrific. He's a, a terrific performer. Um, hmm. it's, uh, I, I you can probably can't say it. actor, can you? I don't. I, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't checked what the the correct uh, <laughs> terminology for an acting dog is. Um, yeah, it combines three of my favorite things: dogs, Irish, and GAA. Um, He's being sarcastic, listeners. I am. Um, I, I think that the the best I can say about this is that it's fine. It's okay. And if I had to sum up Rosha and Frank in one word, it would be mild. It's mild mannered. It's mildly amusing. It made me smile a bit, but I don't mm. think it made me laugh. Um, it's very undemanding viewing and almost to a fault. Yeah, but did you not find it charming? Kind of. Um, not Perhaps not enough. It, it, for me, it, it felt like a short that has been stretched out into a feature length. Mm. And I, there's really, there's not enough story here. Um, and bits have been added to bulk out that story, and unfortunately, not not all of those bits work. Mm, I'm not sure I agree with the script that way, but you know that's that's why you're here and paid the big books and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the lady who who plays uh, the, the, Read Me Nocton. Yeah, I, I thought she was very good as 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 a woman who's people thinking she's going mad because she believes her husband is back. What did you think of her yeah, performance? I mean, I was very, very interested in that. A woman of a certain age grieving the loss of her partner and, you know, the restorative powers of companionship and mm. the bond that she forms with the dog. There's a, there's a really good emotional and powerful story in there. But that part of the story, I think, is underdeveloped. And there's other more lighthearted elements are added to make the whole thing a lot more palatable and uh, jaunty, I suppose. Mm. And... I think tonally it's a bit all over the place. Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say tonally, you see, you're probably going to laugh at this, but there's a lot of music, uh, gentle kind of almost indie movie music. So in a way, I thought there was a slight indie sensibility to it, which we've talked about before. I, I love those kind of movies. Do you know what I mean? There was a there was a slight feeling of, you know, it takes place in kind of rural Waterford in the ring, if I'm not mm. mistaken, right? Yeah, I think and it, it, is. it it had that kind of off the main street kind of vibe, the back roads of Ireland. And it kind of look, I don't want to say I went down, but I just mean that, that I, I- I don't oh, think you should. <laughs> but I just mean that the, the back roads of Ireland kind of feel to it. There, there was a pleasing indie feeling about it, but it is a fable in a way almost. And I, But I like that. That's its strength, I thought. Or a shaggy dog story, if you will. 
Yes, um, indeed. I think, um, yeah, I, I didn't get that. Okay. The, the indie movie, I didn't get that kind of vibe from it all. There's, there's a, one of the things that bulks out the story is this business with uh, the young fella played by uh, Ruin de, de Fuige is his name. Um, and, the, you know, the dog helping him fulfill his potential on the yes. hurling pitch. Yes. Um, and I think if it was if it was a movie about the young fella losing his dad and he was having a hard time, I probably could have bought into this. It, there's a sort of a, a Mighty Ducks hurling subplot business. And, mm. you know, the dog magically improving his ability to play hurling and now i will admit i know nothing about gaa so for all i know it's entirely possible that dogs do have some magical properties where hurling is concerned i don't know and um, but that <laughs> all really felt like it was it was t- kind of taken from a different movie and i think that 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 was to the detriment of the main story of a woman grieving her husband you wanted more cares in this, didn't you? By Ken exactly. Lowe's. Yeah. yeah. It kind exactly. of ends up what it it ends up as a kids' movie in Irish with some weird bits about a woman in her sixties who may or may not be sleeping with her dog. When you say sleeping with her dog, you mean sharing the bed with her. Sharing the bed, but there's a couple of weird bits. Where- <laughs> okay, so before we're taken off air, I I I see what you're saying about the that it turned into a bit of a movie about a kid overcoming bullying and the restorative power of the dog in his life to help him play hurling and all. But I I still liked it. I still found it charming. But yeah. I see what you're saying about the grief that she experienced and and how maybe a dog might take the place of missing someone or that could have been dealt out more i do agree with that but as i say I, overall i did find it charming i feel here like we're you know breaking up and i'm begging you not to go i wanted you to like this more than you do so so what what did you what would you say stars wise for rosha and frank it's okay so i'm gonna give it two and a half okay okay i thought it was charming i'm gonna give it three mm, okay and no dogs were harmed. And if you're a dog lover, I think it's worth the entrance fee alone just to see Frank, uh, the dog, because he was he was great in it. Uh, I'll be your dog, Mark, as they used to say in the Kiora ads. Uh, thanks very much. And next week we, we have the, uh, mo- yeah, no, but you remember in the Kiora ads, I'll be your I dog. Do. Yeah, yeah I was. I would have gone take Epop first rather than Kiora, but each to yeah. each to each to their own. <laughs> and there again, we have the gulf between us, the chasm that exists in our intellects. Next week, we're going to be talking about the much-talked-about Olivia Wilde movie with Harry Styles that caused all the hoo-ha at the Venice Film Festival. So I look forward to your take on that. But in the meantime, thank you, Mark. I will talk to you next week, John. Mark Royal there talking to me about the new Irish movie, Russia and Frank, or Russia August Frank, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the 16th of September. I, I, I liked it, Mark, less so. That's often the way. That's it for this week's people. Thank you, as always, for listening. And thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show as she does every other week. You can get in touch with me at any stage. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on News Talk. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a safe week ahead. And we'll do it all again next week.